Welcome to the Bovi UK podcast, where we will be discussing diseases from diagnosis through to management. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. Welcome to today's podcast. We're discussing gastroduodenal disease in foals. I've got the lovely Emily Floyd with me today. She's the director at Rossdale's Veterinary Surgeons. And Emily has a particular interest in equine ne- neonatology. So welcome, Emily. How are you? Um, very good. Thank you very much for having me. That's well, very exciting to have you. Thank you for, for making the time to join us today. We're going to chat about gastroduodenal disease in foals I'll get my tongue around that eventually how common is it so that's a good question so I guess it depends a bit on which literature you look at and one of the problems is we don't tend to scope foals as often so we probably don't have as much an idea as we do in adult horses somewhere probably between about 20 to 50 percent of foals have ulcers in that sort of window that's a that's a high number what was the youngest age foal presented with ulceration that you've seen so I think presenting with ulcers is probably in the most commonly see foals for four to six weeks. But certainly when we post-mortem foals that are a few days of age, we will appreciate ulcers in some of them. But I would say it's quite rare that you would identify the clinical signs in those foals. But certainly you can identify ulcers in the map post-mortem, or I guess if you scope them. But like I said, we very rarely scope those really young foals. And when you're seeing true clinical signs of ulcers, it's probably most commonly in foals maybe a month of age, something like that. Can you talk me through the pathophysiology of foals and the differences to adult horses? So probably there, there are a few um, differences which are quite relevant to us as you know clinicians. And the first one is that actually young foals, and we're talking you know, really young foals in those first few days of age, actually have quite um, an, a, you know, a higher gastric pH. So foals, once they get to maybe a week or two weeks of age, have a pH, which is much more similar to adults. But those young foals have a, a higher pH, more normally around about four. They also have le- a sort of a less squamous mucosa. And as the acid pH decreases over those few first few days to weeks of life, they also develop a thicker squamous mucosa. So there certainly are a few differences. There's also quite a lot of variation in gastric pH in those young foals related to milk intake and those foals are not eating much forage that their pH will slip up and down you know as they drink milk that's alkalizing their gastric pH rises and as they sleep their pH falls again but they're probably the main ones that the gastric pH is generally higher in younger foals and it becomes more adult like over the first week or two of life. Would you be more concerned about a premature foal rather than a full-term foal? Yeah so that's a very good question I think There's lots of discussion about gastric pH in these really young foals. And actually, we talk a lot when we think about adult, you know, older foals, sorry, we start to think about acid suppression and trying to prevent ulcers. But actually, these younger foals, their pH is often higher anyway. They often have this alkaline pH. And actually, if you're looking at sick foals, there seems to be some association with being able to produce acid and survival. And some of these premature foals, you know, are not able to produce that gastric acid. So they have this quite alkaline pH. So I think that probably is quite important. You know, their gastric function is often not normal either. Their general GI function is not normal. So I wouldn't be more concerned that premature foal was going to have ulceration per se. But certainly there are differences related to their sort of physiology that I would be aware of. How important is the gastric perfusion in a foal? Yeah, so that's, I think, really important. And again, it's that sort of distinction between these young foals and the older foals that actually, in my mind, the most 
common pathology that we see in these young foals is related to perfusion that we said already that they don't normally have such an acid pH anyway maybe they need that acid pH so actually most of the problems that we see are probably related to poor gastric perfusion or poor gastrointestinal perfusion it's difficult to prove that per se because no, you know there's not really much studies looking at that but actually we know in general there's multiple studies telling us that perfusion is really important associated with different markers of perfusion with survival so I think in my mind, trying to promote perfusion and, and maximise perfusion is the most important thing. And, you know, perfusion to the gastrointestinal tract is an important part of that, just like it is the other the other organs, brain and um, kidneys and everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk me through some of the risk factors of squamous and glandular disease that are relevant to neonates and then possibly to the older foal? So I think in those young neonates, um, just like you've said already, that the main risk factor in my mind is probably the perfusion. So the foals that mm-hmm. are more likely to have gastric disease or gastroduodenal disease are foals that have poor perfusion. So they're generally foals that have more significant systemic disease. In general, that may be sepsis or you know, maybe some of the other disease processes. The other probably most important risk factor in those really young foals is a lack of milk intake. Mm-hmm. And we know that milk is really important in terms of modifying gastric pH but it also is really important in terms of promoting good function of the gastric cells. There's lots of markers that encourages good turnover of cells that encourages perfusion. So milk locally has a really important effect. So there's foals which have reduced milk intake. That's probably another major risk factor. So they're probably the main risk factors in those young foals. The older the foal gets, the more similar the risk factors are to an adult horse. So we start to think about stress being a big one. We know mm-hmm. the prevalence of gastric ulceration is really high at the time of weaning, which okay. we typically think is that period of higher stress. Um, again, decreased milk intake is important, excess acid production, and probably the most important risk factor in these older foals is concurrent GI disease. So foals that might have things like diarrhea or other forms of enterocolitis, they are definitely probably at the, at the greatest risk that we see. The other one we should talk about in those older foals is non-steroidals. And it's definitely associated with foals that have non-steroidals and having gastric disease. So we can probably quantify our high-risk groups of those foals that are not getting enough access to their mother's milk and the ones that are under a lot of stress. Are there any other high-risk groups that we can consider? The sick foals in general, the ones that are stressed. Probably there's older foals that are having a, an, an abnormal diet. Foals getting too much concentrated feed. As they get older, they need that access to forage the same way that adult horses do. And probably, again, as vets, the biggest risk factor is, and the ones that we worry about the most, is those foals that have other concurrent GI disease. What clinical signs are you generally seeing with those high-risk groups? So I think it's very variable, actually. And if you read the literature, you know, you would believe that the most common clinical signs of gastric ulcers are colic you know bruxism maybe hypersalivation and we certainly see those things but I don't think they are the most common by a long stretch and it goes back to what we said at the beginning you know, actually gastric ulcers are quite prevalent so many foals have no clinical signs and I think we must remember that the next most common presentation I think actually is just a generally mild ill thrift so foal that maybe mm-hmm. is just slightly under condition maybe a slightly poor hair coat just vague thrifts, you might see some slight changes of a slight inflammation on blood work but quite nondescript and it's not till you get quite advanced ulceration that you'll see the more profound clinical signs which are the classic things you think about so hypersalivation teeth grinding colic we certainly see those but they're often with a much more advanced disease and 
the most pronounced clinical signs we see are in the foals that have duodenal disease. Mm-hmm. That once they start to get that duodenal, it's not always a stricture, but if they get a significant duodenal ulceration or erosions, that can, you know, an inflammation that can really delay gastric emptying. Some of those foals genuinely do have a stricture and they actually have a physical reason they're not having any gastric emptying. And when they start to get the buildup of gastric contents, they often then get esophageal reflux. Okay. And that's once they get that esophageal disease, when you see the most pronounced clinical signs and you'll see really pronounced hypersalivation, inappetence, colic. Um, and that's when you see the most profound clinical signs. So diagnostic options, we've got gastroscopy with the older horses, which is mainstay. What are the options with foals? Would we be doing gastroscopy or are there other options for diagnostics that you can use? Yeah, so for the most part, you know, if you really want to know the answer, then you have to do gastroscopy. There's no real way around that. You know, people have talked about other testings like the sucrose absorption test. I mean, they're just not mainstream and actually it still causes a reasonable amount of stress to the foal to do that. So I wouldn't mm. contemplate that. So if you really want to know, you, you need to do gastroscopy. Um, and there's no real reason not to do that. You know, it's it's just as straightforward in a foal as it is in adult horses. Sometimes we get a bit nervous about holding those foals off feed. Is the, mm-hmm. is the real reason to do it. But the other, you know, slightly useful tools that we can have, ultrasound actually can be quite useful, and it's certainly more useful in a foal than an adult horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's especially true of the foals that have delayed gastric emptying. And what we'll look for in those foals is that we'll look at the size of the stomach. And you'll often be amazed in those foals that have had a bit, you know, they, these things obviously build up over time, that you'll see this foal that's just a bit dull, and they'll have these enormous fluid-filled stomachs their stomach empties they look better but as soon as they nurse the their stomach fills up again they just can't empty it so seeing mm-hmm. an enlarged stomach is certainly a concern and you can visualize the duodenum very nicely in a full and if you're seeing signs of thickening of that duodenum mm-hmm. again that can be a, a clue that there may be there may be something going on with that full so going back to the gastroscopy would the starvation period be similar or is it going to be time dependent on their age and stage yeah, it's definitely time dependent on their age, and it's difficult to give exact time recommendations. Those really young foals actually don't need to be fasted for really any great length of time. Probably two hours is enough. Mm-hmm. So just putting a muzzle on those young foals is is adequate. Although they are the group that generally we tend to want to scope the, the least, I would say. Yeah. Um, but if you do do that, it's quite simple. And then as that foal gets older t- towards adult age, so by six months of age, you have to starve them for a longer period of time. So I'd say that, that foal of maybe two to three months, you often, you know, only need to starve them for maybe six hours. But by the time they get to six months, you're, you're going to need to starve them for probably eight to 12 hours. And actually in those foals that have delayed emptying, you often need to starve them for longer. Mm-hmm. Might even, you know, might even need to be more than 12 hours to, to be able to visualise the full mucosa. Are there any differences in the procedure um, compared to an adult horse when you're scoping the horse? Are you going to be looking for different things within the stomach or same things when I mean, you think generally it's the same things and the procedure is exactly the same obviously you have to just be a bit more the probably the biggest practical element in a foal is making sure you've got someone that you really trust handling the foal mm-hmm. because obviously there's a risk of foals flipping over and do, they can be quite dramatic so i think that's probably the most important safety concern for you and the foal that you've got someone really capable of handling that foal to prevent them from going over and you obviously just need to be a bit careful with what sedation you use. But certainly I would still use an alpha-2 agonist of most of those foals, maybe just a little bit of xylazine, or you could use a tiny bit of detonine with a bit of butorphanol. Mm-hmm. You obviously, we would always use the stomach tube to pass the scope okay. in an adult horse, but the foal's obviously too small to do that. Mm-hmm. So 
you need to use a gag really just to prevent the risk of injury to your scope. That's nothing to do with a foal. A foal can still crunch your scope. <laughs> so I would still recommend just using one of those little mouth gags just to prevent the foal from crunching it. But otherwise, no, it's quite similar. And you, I guess you're just looking for slightly, maybe focusing on slightly different areas that probably pay a bit more attention to the esophagus than you would an adult horse. Squamous lesions are similar. You just want to view the greater and lesser curvature. And then in ideally, you would get through to the pylorus and the duodenum. And you certainly can do that in most foals, but in some of those foals that have delayed gastric emptying, it's very difficult to do that. So you may just see evidence that makes you fairly confident that's what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And then you may decide that actually you're not going to really force the issue and that you can, you know, visualise the pylorus, but it looks very inflamed, you, except you're not going to get into the duodenum. Can we uh, move on to some treatment now? What is the main aim for treatment? So it does definitely depend on what age of you're, tri- you're talking about, mm-hmm. because I am not an advocate of using acid suppressing drugs in the really young foals, because mm-hmm. I think, like we said already, we, there's a lot of different things about the acid in those foals. And actually there's this evidence that maybe acid is beneficial and whether or not that's cause or effect, I don't know, but I certainly think there's enough evidence to suggest we shouldn't be routinely acid suppressing those foals. So I would t- tend to try and avoid a meprazole in those young foals, the first certainly week of life. And in those folds, you know, trying to prioritise infusion is probably the most important thing. So that that might be just with your general systemic care. We will sometimes use sacralfate because we were hoping that can help you know promote local blood flow. And actually trying to promote milk intake is probably actually the most important thing you can do in those really young folds. And there's lots of lots of reasons for that in terms of promoting general development of gastrointestinal function, but actually in terms of gastro protection as well mm-hmm. so in those young foals i would probably try and consider all the other factors and then think about just to crowd fate once those foals get older and we're talking about the physiology being more similar to adults then actually using acid suppressor drugs is makes sense and is much more logical so in those older foals i think going to a meprazole as your first line treatment mm-hmm. would be sensible in terms of it being licensed actually it's only licensed for foals over four weeks of age and at 70 kilos or more mm-hmm. so that's what it's technically licensed for and there's no you know no drugs are licensed for glandular disease in foals so actually you probably do get quite free reign in terms of what you do because it's not that often you're using it for the exact indication but i would normally in those older foals just start with simple oral because it's it's really well absorbed in foals it provides good acid suppression and those in those young foals when it's absorbed well you, you will reliably get 20 hours acid suppression mm-hmm. which obviously is great as the foal gets older, um, the bioavailability probably gets closer to the adult horse. You probably need to think a bit more about when you give it in terms of fasting and things. You know, obviously we're a lot, don't we, in adult horses about giving a meprazole an hour before breakfast. And as the closer the foal gets and the more forage they're taking in, the probably the more relevant that is. But actually in those young foals, we know it's safe, it's well absorbed and it's a good acid suppressor. So that would be my first line for, for those foals with simple, what you suspect is simple squamous disease, or in the falls where you're maybe thinking about trying to prevent gastric ulceration. What about esomeprazole as an option? Yeah, so I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know, is there any pharmacokinetics in falls of that? I don't believe so, yeah, it'd be that whether you've tried it or not and seen any evidence. I haven't tried it, I think the thing is actually that in those young falls, omeprazole is absorbed quite well. But mm-hmm. I guess those, as you get those foals that get older, I would be more tempted to try. You know, if I felt like I had a foal that wasn't responding to oral mm-hmm. then there would be a reason to try it if they had squamous disease. 
Um, I, I have tried the injectable meprazole mm-hmm. and I've used that quite a lot actually. And I, I probably would, I don't know, use a meprazole, yes, and certainly in adult horses, there's a, I think there's indications actually, but I'd probably be more likely to go to injectable meprazole than a foal because mm-hmm. of the reason that you can inject it. So certainly some of those foals where um, they've got delayed gastric emptying, for example, Mm-hmm. Then also you worry about the absorption of the oral drugs, and actually in those ones you certainly you know something parenteral is much more beneficial. Mm-hmm. And although I don't know what the pharmacokinetics is in foals, we've certainly used it safely and have appreciated clinical benefit. Mm-hmm. I could tell you. What about any other options? Would you use misoprostol, for example? Yes, misoprostol. And um, so we certainly, if we're thinking we have foals with glandular disease, then we certainly would use misoprostol again. The pharmacokinetics are not published in foals. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, extrapolating from adults. It's well tolerated and there's, there's lots of good logical reasons to use it in those foals where we suspect glandular disease and certainly those foals where we suspect there's duodenal disease because if, from what we know from adult horses, much more likely to have a beneficial effect than just the acid suppression. It's hopefully going to promote mucosal blood supply, encourage mucosal repair, possibly have some acid suppressive effect. You know, that's, that's probably less important. And so we possibly also in those foals that have are being given non-steroidals, maybe that's a sensible thing to do. And again, mm-hmm. we do all those things. It's very difficult, isn't it, to really assess in an individual thing when we haven't got any studies to support it. But certainly those foals where you think you've got glandular disease and using misoprostol is a good idea. And actually, sacralfate's a really safe drug. Mm-hmm. We'll often add that to all the other things we're doing. I think if you've got a foal that you think quite simply you want to either prevent ulcers or you suspect it's got also not that bad I might just start with a meprazole if it's a bit worse I might then add sacralfate if mm-hmm. I was particularly worried about duodenal disease or glandular disease I would probably go misoprostol and sacralfate. Are there conditions where medical intervention is just going to fail um, or is failing what options do you have after that? So I think there's probably two categories of foals that, that, that fall into that the first is these foals that get the du- that, you know severe duodenal disease Mm-hmm. with a with a stricture and they are really awful cases to deal with because mm. there's a first subset of them where they have just an inflammation in their you know duodenum and their pylorus those foals actually will sometimes respond to medical treatment which is quite a lot of intensive care with fluid therapy and prokinetics and anti you know anti-inflammatories and they mm-hmm. will sometimes get better but the ones that have true you know structural problems you know, it doesn't matter what drugs you give them mm-hmm. you won't promote gastric emptying and they're the foals that if you want to continue with, you need to consider a bypass surgery. The reported success for that is about 50%. Okay. We don't do that many of them. And so my impression of that would not be that good. It's probably one of those things, the more you do, the better success you have. Mm-hmm. But certainly mm-hmm. my um, impression of that is that it's not always successful when you do it. Some folks, you know, will do really well, but there are some, certainly still a proportion where you do the surgery and they still don't do well. There are also, I think, and just, you know, Ben Sykes always talks about those adult horses, which are poor responders to oral omeprazole. And I would get the impression that there are also foals that's the case of as well. And I guess that makes sense, that mid-group of foals, um, where you can give them all the ulcer drugs in the world and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Mm-hmm. And I guess some of those foals just don't respond that well to oral omeprazole. And in, in those foals, I think you probably, there's more of an indication to use things like the injectable omeprazole or maybe misoprostol. And unfortunately, I think irrespective of all the things that we do, we still will get foals that have a peracute gastric rupture. Mm-hmm. And some of those foals have sometimes had an acid preventative drug, some of them haven't. And I mean, that's one of the biggest frustrations. And I think as, as vets, it's often one of the biggest pressure why we always feel forced into giving a lot of prophylactic 
gastric protectants mm-hmm. because we're really worried about those falls at rupturing. But actually, I don't know that there's that much evidence that prophylaxis is that beneficial. And certainly we'll see, still see those foals that have a gastric rupture that have had gastroprotectant drugs. So what guidelines would you recommend to help prevent gastric disease in practice in neonates versus older foals? Yeah, so prevention, I think, the same as adult horses, are just we just need to come back to thinking about trying to avoid the risk factors as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And I think actually we're probably less good at thinking about them in foals compared to adults. Minimising stress has got to be a really important part of it. And I think that's true of young foals and older foals. So yeah. trying to maximise normal function for those foals, whatever age they are. So in the young foal, that's trying to maximise normal bonding with the mare, maximising normal milk intake, normal, you know, a normal foal routine. And then in the sick foals, trying to maximise perfusion in other ways. And then in the older foals, it's maxim- again, minimising stress. So particularly thinking about things like time of weaning, trying mm-hmm. to promote stable social groups, trying to promote good diet, prevent high amounts of concentrates, trying to avoid using non steroidals as much as we can. And probably thinking, and this isn't really, I guess, preventing it, but really identifying those high risk groups and thinking about probably, you know, being a bit more proactive about treating them. And so certainly I would be quite an advocate of using drugs prophylactically in foals that have diarrhea, even if they don't, you don't, you may not know if they have gastric ulcers, but they're not showing clear signs of ulcers. We know enough about the fact that the prevalence is quite high in that group. So I would usually promote using them. And again, foals that have non-steroidals, I would usually recommend giving a meprazole. Mm-hmm. Although, as I said to you earlier, there is some studies. Yes, <laughs> one, one study that came out in adult horses in the last year where they looked at using a meprazole and bute together and mm-hmm. suggesting that was associated with an increased risk of generally gastrointestinal side effects. Mm-hmm. So that has left me in a bit of a quandary about my bold statement that you should give all steroidals <laughs> a meprazole, but I don't entirely know that's true. What I can say is that actually we do that a lot and I haven't really appreciated a problem. Maybe I just haven't appreciated it. And actually the other thing is that I guess we'd be a bit careful extrapolating is that we use bute very rarely in foals. Okay. Um, always try and use a different non-steroidal what, and uh, what non-steroidal would you recommend in that situation my personal preference is meloxicam and actually mm-hmm. there's just a couple of studies where the gastric side effects from it weren't that severe okay so i would i really try and avoid bute and there's lots of studies showing how quickly bute can cause gastric ulceration and falls mm-hmm. and actually for nixon too although we will occasionally use that if we need it but i think just again being quite sparing with those drugs is important and if if you're seeing enough clinical effect i very rarely use anything other than meloxicam in those young foals and it, it, in my mind it gives enough of the clinical effect mm-hmm. uh, so rounding off i think what are some of your take-home messages we've discussed obviously the non-steroidal side we've gone through some of the treatment options and maybe just run through some take-home messages for vets in practice yes i think take-home messages for me in those young foals don't feel the need to rush into your acid suppressing drugs think about all the other factors that you can so things like promoting milk intake perfusion general health in the older foals i think it's generally reasonable if you think you're worried about ulcers to start with the meprazole as a first line drug it's quite well absorbed it's quite safe but being considering moving on to other things adding sacralfate possibly using misoprostol if you're worried about um, glandular disease or if you're worried about absorption thinking about some of the other parenteral things that you can use i think the biggest challenges we often face as vets and stud vets is trying to 
answer the question about how many foals we should treat prophylactically. Mm-hmm. But I think, in my mind, prophylactic says foals that are really at high stress, foals that have other concurrent disease, may, you know, be that orthopaedic disease or GI disease particularly, mm-hmm. we should have prophylaxis for those foals and foals that have are needing other treatment with non-steroidals. Again, we know that they make the high-risk groups not to be afraid of treating those high-risk foals, mm-hmm. you know, if you're identifying them as a potential problem. Well, Emily, I think we're going to round it off there. That has been really insightful and hopefully great messages for vets going away, especially as we're going to be starting seeing foals in the future. So thank you very much. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. (laughs) 